Can you start it off with We Came In? Hello, welcome back to Nerd Geek Dork. This is our podcast where we discuss the nerdy, geeky, dorky side of pop culture. Uh, I'm Pete the Retailer, and with me, as always, is L. Adam. Hello. Uh, today we're talking about, uh, uh, we're back to music, we're talking about uh, an album that's uh, easy to geek out about. Uh, it's Pink Floyd, The Wall. The Wall is an album by Pink Floyd that was released in 1979. Uh, it was followed up with a theatrical adaptation in 1982, also titled The Wall. Or was it Pink Floyd, The Wall, Pete? Yeah, I believe it's Pink Floyd, The Wall by Roger Waters. But we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, but it has a gigantic following. People love it. Um, I have not seen the movie. I've only seen snippets. And until five hours ago, I'd never listened to the whole album. Yeah, that's another... Uh, I'm glad that uh, you have a fresh set of ears on that, which is something I think we, we try to keep doing. That At least one of us is unfamiliar with what we're talking about. Uh, so it's uh, an outsider's perspective. But uh, our insiders, the guys who we who we we brought on to who know a, a whole lot about Pink Floyd and the Wall and and Roger Waters and and everything about it, uh, we've got Anthony, who's been on before. You guys have you guys have met him, and we've got Alex. That name sounds familiar. Yeah, so those clever listeners will know that uh, uh, Alex and I do another podcast called Star Wars Minute, which uh, we analyze each and every individual minute of Star Wars. Um, but he's also a big uh, Pink Floyd fan, so we uh, we brought him on to talk about the wall. Um, did not make any references or allusions to Star Wars, which was uh, difficult. Uh, yeah. It's true. Yeah, you're thinking back to see if we did, if you could. Yeah, I'm trying to think. No, but didn't. but yeah, they're totally trying to sell us on this because me, I'm still kind of fresh on this, and you, you're kind of not a big fan of this particular album. Yeah, it comes out pretty quickly that despite being a big fan of Pink Floyd uh, recently. I- I've gotten into them, but uh, I don't like The Wall. So we'll talk about that. We'll cover it. They'll, they'll tell me what, what they like about it. I'll tell them what I don't like about it. And Adam will talk about listening to it at five o'clock this morning. Yes. So uh, let's uh, let's just jump into it. I feel like this is a recurring uh, theme on these, where we we set it up so that one or both of us have are either unfamiliar with or or not uh, not a fan of whatever we're studying, whatever we're talking about that that episode. And Adam has never uh, heard the wall up until I think last night. Did you did you get a chance uh, to listen to it? Five hours ago. All right. I woke up at five a.m. and I was just like, "Oh crap! I forgot to listen to that." And I sat in my room with the lights out and just listen to the whole album. It was pretty intense. I think that's the recommended listening situation for that album, right? Yeah, I should have been smoking something, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> what was your initial response? What would you would you take away from that? Um, it was good. I didn't realize how many songs I knew by Pink Floyd from that album. Mm-hmm. And a couple times I expected them to turn into Beatles songs. <laughs> like but- I, that could but have just one, been because it was the middle of the night, though. True. But I feel like, one, I was expecting to turn into The Fool on the Hill. Because hmm. I think it starts day after day. 
Um, yeah. yeah, that's um, one of my turns, I think. Yeah, day after day, love turns gray. See, it's a good like thing we had on the dying on. man. <laughs> <laughs> and night after night, we pretend it's all right. So, so Adam, did it make any sense to you, like as a narrative, such as it is? <laughs> um, can you can you relate the story to us? I probably could not. No. I think I feel, without I, the movie, without the movie, I think it would be incomprehensible as a like this happened, then this happened, then this happened. I even hesitate to use the word narrative, but there's a sequence of events. But I would say the first half is easy to follow, and the second half just gets kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. See, that's accurate. <laughs> even I, I, I still haven't. Um, you know, it was my goal to go back and do it for this, but I still haven't watched the movie in its entirety at any point. Like I've wow. seen bits and pieces here and there, but uh, um, I think you know, even with the benefit of the movie, uh, maybe the movie even made it more kind of <laughs> con- confusing for me. Yeah, because it seems like there's a couple of different themes going on at once that don't necessarily overlap that well maybe there's a you know maybe there's a beautiful tie-up in the in the at some point in the movie that i've missed watching you know that's one of the scenes that i haven't seen is where it all comes together in a one one perfect scene but uh yeah it's the trial (laughs) did you you watch the trial pete uh not recently i'm 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 aware of its existence well i think i think the animation in general is the highlights of all the animation bits are great in the movie. Yeah. So I think if you're going to watch a crash course, if you want to see the greatest hits of the wall, the movie, then watch all the animated bits in the movie. Hmm. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? All yeah. the animated bits are great movie stuff. How, how far apart were the movie and the album released, or were they just like at the same time? A couple of years, right? The album came out in 79... And the movie came out in, what eighty two, yeah, okay, somewhere around there. I yeah. think they were both. I think there was always conceived as a kind of that there would be a theatrical movie. Yeah, yeah that's what I was wondering if it was like a, it was a part part of a plan. Although I did notice that the uh, um, recently going back and I, I just watched the very beginning uh, yesterday, the day before, uh, that some of the music is different, so it's not just. Uh, you know, it's not just like, oh, like, this was the movie that we conceived for this album, and here's, you know, here it is. It's the here's what's going on while you're listening to this album. It's like actually some of the songs are different takes, and some of the some of the songs from the movie aren't on the album. I think. Yeah, hmm. and first Lisa. Yeah. yeah, and, and uh, like Bob Geldof sings um, in the flesh. Yeah, and empty what? spaces is replaced with what shall we do now? And there's like when the tigers broke free. It's there's all you know a whole bunch of different. Thing. Some songs are extended. That, that's when I first noticed that the, it was different was when uh, Bob Geldof was singing in the flesh because I, I was like, oh, wait, this isn't so bad. Oh, wait, that's because Roger Waters isn't singing it. Oh. Because his, vo- his voice just gets to me. Now, uh, does the movie have uh, like dialogue or is it just like the music playing and like narrating what's it has going on? a couple on? of lines of dialogue, but for the most part, it's just. Uh, the album? Like, it's just pretty much like, yeah, like the album yeah. as rock opera kind of. Okay, like, gotcha. I think like Bob Hoskins has like one line where he plays the manager and, <laughs> you know, there's a couple of other one or two line segments. But don't look, don't think that any additional dialogue is going to clarify what's going on. Because the movie needs to help, you know, make things more obvious. But there's nothing in the audio that will help you very much. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. 
there's no part where it's like, okay, so this is what's going on. <laughs> well, there's no like narrator says, you know, welcome back from the intermission, folks. Yeah. <laughs> we last left Pink, he had just completed the wall, ensuring his <laughs> utter isolation. <laughs> somebody should do that. Like somebody that knows the wall really well, just record commentary, like, commentary track. Somebody that knows the wall really well. <laughs> where are we going to find those people? Yeah. <laughs> I was thought, I thought you were going to say someone should redo the wall as like a splashy Broadway musical. You know, make all the numbers peppy and upbeat. And yeah. I'm sure they've gotten offers for that. Oh, oh yeah. Most likely. I don't think I've mentioned this before on this show, but my Pink Floyd thing is that at some point in, in high school, junior high school, high school, I, I had this kind of revelation that I was just listening to a lot of classic rock stuff, quote unquote classic rock stuff, um, because I was supposed to listen to it. Like it was just like, oh, that's what you're supposed to listen to and not because I actually was enjoying it. And so I was like, all right, let me let me reassess everything that I listen to here and see what, you know, see what I like and what I don't like. And so I basically just kind of threw everything out, not literally, uh, but I was just like, all right, I don't like any of this stuff. Now let me slowly let it back in one by one, kind of, you know, analytically, critically. And uh, and Pink Floyd was was a long time coming back, because for a while I was just kind of like, oh, I don't like any of this, do I? And gradually, actually through conversation with Anthony, he, he kind of broke through once and played uh, Adam Hart Mother for me. And was just like, look, these guys are like just, you know, weird and being experimental and, and interesting. And then that kind of opened a little gate and then slowly it all flooded back in. But the wall is still not back in there. The wall. So, so if you like Pink Floyd, you tend to like early Pink Floyd. Yeah, slowly it, it inched back up through time. <laughs> that uh, like just the most recent album that I've become a, a huge fan of is is Dark Side of the Moon. Just like a year or two ago, maybe a little bit longer, maybe two three years ago, there was another kind of breakthrough, and I was like, oh wait, Dark Side of the Moon is awesome. And so, you like and you like all of their more obscure stuff, like more and obscured by clouds and metal. Yeah, yeah, Whereas totally. The, the normal fan just likes the wall, uh, dark side of the moon. Wish you were here. Right. So you're sort of like the opposite of that. You, you don't necessarily like wish you wish you were here that much, right? He never uh, wishes he was here. <laughs> tell me about it. No, uh, yeah, I, I, it's okay. I, I think I like it more because it's less. Um, not pretentious, but it's less kind of, uh, uh, it's not trying to be as much of a big kind of bold statement project thing. Mm. I'm, uh, I'm almost the complete opposite of that in that I, the first, obviously first thing I liked was like most normal people. I liked <laughs> dark side of the moon first. Well, I don't know. It might've even, I, anyway, I tended to approach it from the other end. I actually liked final cut was one of my favorite Pink Floyd mm. albums, and I loved Roger Waters' voice. So uh, <laughs> it was only later on that I got into the early stuff like uh, Adam Hart Mother, and but I didn't even like uh, Wish You Were Here because it just had those long instrumental parts where Roger Waters wasn't singing, and who cares? <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, it's funny because it's it's I can see um, you know Adam, you brought up the Beatles, uh, and it yeah. I, I tend to go kind of the other way with the Beatles. Like I like the more um, stuff that some people might call pretentious, 
uh, you know, like the, some of the John Lennon stuff, which tries to be more important. Like, I like that stuff more than the, some of the kind of, you know, more lighthearted McCartney stuff. But for some reason with, with Pink Floyd, it's, it's the opposite, where it's just like, if it's trying too hard to be, you know, meaningful, I'm just kind of like, ah, come on, just relax. <laughs> In terms of, like, Beatles albums, what was this for them? Was this, like, their Sgt. Peppers or their Yellow Submarine or... Probably the White Album. Yeah, like this I, is I'm just, maybe because it's just a double album and there's a lot of songs, but <laughs> it's a double album with you know with a white yeah, cover, with a white cover and a lot of songs. <laughs> okay, that's, that's it, it's good. hard to compare it to a Beatles album because none of the Beatles ever became as um, kind of dominant as Roger Waters was as both songwriter and as kind of like band leader. Like, there's no way. John Lennon or Paul McCartney would have put up with the other one saying, yes, I've written 25 songs and now we're going to record. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. McCartney waited till everyone else was dead. Yeah. It would probably be, imagine if, imagine if Paul McCartney had really taken over the band after the death of Brian Epstein and then was kind of like, which he kind of did anyway. But anyway, we're getting into, this is turning into a Beatles podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah, Roger Waters' personality definitely dominated the second half of Pink Floyd's, you know, uh, career, and that the albums were kind of driven by his his mania for depression and isolation and examination of uh, insanity and stuff. Now, is that for better or for worse for their career and just the overall music? Well, ultimately, wound up kind of breaking up the band because the band got sick of doing Roger Waters' depressing songs, but, you know, certainly that was when they had their most commercial success was during the early Roger Waters uh, dominated era. You know, Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, and The Wall, I guess, were, the, were the, probably the three biggest selling albums. Mm. Yeah. Now, wait, what, what order? Uh, Dark Side is, is uh, the first of those three. It, 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 yes. I get the order confused that this is. Like like we said, seventy nine, eighty or so. So this is before the final cut, but after "Wish You Were Here." Yeah, it yeah. goes "Dark Side of the Moon," uh, "Wish You Were Here," and then "Animals" is in there, but we're not talking about that. And then the wall, and then yeah. I mean, "Animals" is in the middle of that. Yeah, yeah. "Animals" was seventy seven. "Wish You Were Here" was seventy five, and the wall was seventy nine. And final cut was the last album with. The last Pink Floyd album with, with Roger Waters, that was 83. Right. But it was really, I mean, it was just Roger Waters with the Pink Floyd name. I think David Gilmour sang on, like, one or two songs and played guitar, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, even, I was closer to the White Album in that it was Roger Waters using Pink Floyd as his backing band. Yeah. Uh, Much the right. same way they say about the White Album. So, so he, he owns, like, all the rights to everything. Like, it's, he's free to use the name however he wants. Well, not the Pink Floyd name now. No. There was a huge court battle. Um, maybe it wasn't huge, but... It, it was, was pretty big. And in the late 80s, there were two... Uh, I remember there was one time they were, they were both touring. The Pink Floyd, which was still David Gilmour and Nick Mason and Richard Wright. And then there was Roger Waters doing his own shows. And Pink Floyd would like sell out giant arenas... And Roger Waters would just sell smaller, you know, like maybe 5,000 seat places. And he was doing basically the same songs. So mm. just, that, just that Pink Floyd name um, was what, you know, was the draw. So It's like right. Black Flag now. Black Flag and Flag. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, nobody's touring as Floyd. Although maybe they should. Yeah. All right, you're Pink and we're Floyd. <laughs> 
time that I saw Pink Floyd, it was it was post, you know, it was like '94 or whatever. So it was it was you know way post uh, Roger Waters, and it was you know it was it was okay, it was fun, but it was like it, it's mainly just the kind of the experience of like yes, I saw Pink Floyd. Like you should get like a little, it's like a passport stamp or something, and it's just yeah. like you know, it's not. I went to that concert with you, mm-hmm. and I that was at uh, Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah. Yeah. I just remember being a little disappointed because it was just more of a circus. Like yeah. It wasn't, you know, it was, I mean, we were sitting really far away, but it was just a million people on stage, and, you know, I mean, the light show was great, but it was basically a greatest hits type show. And, I, you know, I, 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 I saw The Wall recently when Roger Waters, uh, he just played a whole thing, like world tour. And um, I thought that was the best, like Pink Floyd related thing I've ever seen live. I, th- I thought it was amazing, much better than, than the, and I love David Gilmour, but I just thought that concert was a bit of a bore, the one that we went to. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring it back to, that, that it seems like, you know, that, like, despite not being quote unquote Pink Floyd, that like the Roger Waters wall tour is more kind of the Pink Floyd experience that people would be looking for. It was just that concert. I felt like they were just so disconnected from the crowd. And it was basically the reason why Waters wrote the wall in a way. Like it was just like they seemed isolated from us. I felt isolated from them. And it just just, you know, just seemed like this giant, just big rock stadium concert, you know, like no, I don't know. It just didn't have any depth to it. Well, that's a good segue to let's let's talk about the uh, the themes behind the wall, because that's. I was saying earlier, I think there are three, two or three different kind of swirling ideas that I don't feel really uh, gel together. I feel like they're a little bit separate, but uh, one of them, as we just hit on, is is the the kind of the wall that keeps coming up is the the kind of barrier between the audience and the performer. Hmm. Yeah, it. I'm you know from from what I heard or read. Um, Pink Floyd, they, they were actually, the name of their tour for animals was called In the Flesh Tour, which In the Flesh being the name of two songs on the wall. But um, apparently Roger Waters got upset at a few fans. They were trying to, like, climb their way on stage or something, and he spit on one of the fans, and he just had so many, like, just negative, you know, feelings towards, like, just the situation. I think they were all, the band themselves had problems, like, David Gilmour was fighting with Richard Wright and Roger Waters, and they just, you know, there was just a lot going on, and Roger, apparently after that incident, was talking to someone, he's like, he said something how he just wishes there was, you know, just some wall between him and the audience, like, he just can't, he can't stand, like, these giant concerts anymore, and it was just really getting to him. Hmm. So then he just created the whole concept, right? Is that? Uh, that's, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty uh, accurate. Yeah. Accurate. Oh, wait, so he was, he wanted the wall, or he was he was lamenting the the unspoken wall. Well, I think he wanted the. I think he part of him wanted the wall, and then part of him was also kind of depressed about the fact that he wanted the wall. You know, yeah. Why, it, should it, it, why should I want to? Why should I want to isolate myself from the people who theoretically love me? So what, what's yeah. behind that? Okay. In the beginning of the movie, there's that scene that's kind of, uh, it's like the, the rioting, uh, you know, concert crowd juxtaposed with the, the kind of charging military, uh, military force. 
Mm-hmm. And that that seemed like a, like an odd, you know, he was seemed like he was painting a negative picture of crowds, which then I was, uh, you know, it's part of why I felt it was kind of disjointed. Was I was like, wait, is he not happy with the crowds, or is you know, does he wish he was clo- one with the crowd, or is he wanting to be more separate from? Does he want to distance himself from this this throng? It's probably a it's probably an ambivalent relationship because you know as especially obvious in the movie does the band and the character of Pink sort of take on this kind of fascistic tone and I think that was the other thing that was um, maybe that troubled Roger Waters was this kind of like adulation of this the mob of you know sort of like the rock star as you know this figure of worship and. You know, probably another thing that probably may, be, may have made him uncomfortable about these stadium tours is, you know, an audience of 60,000 people, you know, clearly worked up into a lather over uh, their songs. Right. So I was, I was reading this interview with Roger Waters where he was saying you have to picture the whole movie with um, Pink, Pink the uh, rock star. Mm-hmm. He's basically just sitting in his hotel room the whole time. And all of these ideas, like he's not actually performing that concert that's all in his mind. And um, he's just isolated in a, in a hotel room. He's away from home. You know, I think he's in the, the States on tour. And he is just um, depressed. Uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe all drugged up. And he, this whole entire album sort of goes through his mind while he's just sitting in this room. And the movie, I think the movie starts off with him. Uh, I haven't seen the movie in years, but I, doesn't it start off with him, the, the uh, Bob Geldof, just sitting in a hotel room, watching TV? Yeah, the first scene is uh, he's in his room, and some maid is uh, trying to get into the hotel uh, room. Right. Yeah. And uh, then it segues almost immediately back to uh, his father dying in World War Two. The other mm. big theme of the right. Yeah, this the, the album. The other the other theme that I that kept coming up is the war and and his father absence of father his father dying in the war, which I'm not sure. I, again, probably I need to go back and watch this trial scene. But the uh, uh, you know he, maybe he was trying to draw kind of uh, if not parallels at least kind of like causation between the two or or some kind of uh, you know connection that I didn't really feel. I'm not going to say it wasn't warranted, but it wasn't just kind of like. Uh, it wasn't as obvious. I wasn't behind it. Well, um, I think he felt betrayed that his I, his dad died in World War II, and from what I understand, I, I think he I don't I guess it involves an airplane. Um, maybe he died. Maybe an airplane crash. I don't know. But he didn't find out that his dad died until he. Um, I think he was snooping through like stuff in his house and he saw like the letter or something from the British army. And th- that scene is actually in the movie. And he said that's actually, that actually really happened where his mom didn't even tell him about his dad coming, you know, his dad's dead. He's not going to come home. And he just found out on his own. And he, he, um, one of the songs Avira, right. Is sort of, um, explain some of that because uh, Vera Lynn was this. I guess she was a, an actor, an actress in the '40s. She did this movie called um, "We'll Meet Again," and that song was used um, in Britain during the time. It was a very popular song to, I guess, make 
families feel hopeful that their loved ones would come home from the war. And, you know, the song, like the lyrics were, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when. Right. And he that wasn't the case for Roger Waters. Like, he knew he wasn't going to meet his dad, and that song just kind of pissed him off. <laughs> I think that was one of the reasons why he brought that, you know, the meaning behind Vera in the movie. Actually, The Wall itself, um, the movie itself, starts off with a Vera Lynn song, The Little Boy That Santa Claus Forgot. Mm-hmm. So, like, he just, that, like, Vera Lynn is just, like, a, theme, a continuous theme throughout the movie and the album. Like, how long was it that, that his mom was just kind of like, yeah, dad's in the army, like, he's away? Like, was he, because in that, it, I remember that scene in the movie, because he's like, you know, 10 or something at that point, was, was did she just kind of keep him going for, for years? I don't really know how long, but I, I just, like I said, I just remember him saying somewhere, you know, in an interview that that actually is how he found out that his dad was dead. Just by, you know, his mom never told him. He just snooped around the house and found out. He was home from college. (laughs) (laughs) And was just like, hey, is dad coming to dinner? Like, uh, no, I think he said he's going to be late. He's working late at the office. Just went out the door. Oh, he's just (laughs) doing everything. third kind of main one that i i noticed was the the kind of education and and kind of being a kid and being you know just kind of oppressed by the uh the the educational system which again the man yeah if i had if i had been the the eager 13 year old and and really kind of listened to it as, as as i was supposed to and not just kind of you know ironically it was almost like homework at the time that i was just kind of like all right i'm supposed to listen to pink floyd so let me listen to the wall I think it, it wasn't so much anti-education. It was more about the way he was being taught. Right. And Yeah. And, you know, in the movie, they show the image of the students with the masks on. You know, almost they almost look like sheep going through the meat grinder. Like they're just, you know, cogs right. of the machine. And Which I know it, that, that just totally made me think of uh, the opening credits to You Can't Do That on Television. <laughs> which i think if i'm if i'm not mistaken you can't do that on television uh started in the late 70s so it might have been they, they might have gotten there first mm. <clears throat> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that that kind of uh i don't know like i i i understand it and like yeah i'm not against it it's just the kind of the way that it's painted it seems kind of whiny Especially like one of my favorite uh, parts of the whole thing that that we used to quote all the time when I was when I was younger was that uh, you know if you don't eat your meat you can't get any pudding. When it's presented kind of uh, in that context, it's like yeah, like yeah, man, the man was saying that we have to eat our dinner before we get dessert. Like screw that, and it's like all right, well, that, <laughs> like why are you complaining about that? That's just kind of like Pete. Yeah. Do you quote that in the office a lot or something? What do you ever quote that line? Uh, possibly I, because when it started and i was, I was like wait i know this <laughs> like i've heard someone say this line a lot yeah it, it's for some reason that's one of the things that's the main thing that i got out of the wall i think was if you don't eat your meat you can't get any pudding how can you have any pudding if you don't eat your meat gotcha. well, there, there's a there's a scene in the movie where pink the young pink he's in he's in school and 
the he's writing poetry and the teacher picks up his poem and reads it to the class. His poem's actually the oh. lyrics to, to money. Oh right, money, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he basically, you know, the, the students laugh at him and he's basically he, he's discouraging his creativity. And you know, maybe it was along those lines, Pete. He wasn't allowed to be creative in school. Yeah. Although I don't know. I I'm I'm Projecting a little bit, maybe, but it was like, there's nothing that creative about eating your dessert first. <laughs> Although now, again, having mentioned uh, You Can't Do That on Television, in my head, when you just re- when you just brought up that scene, in my head, it's, it's Ross from You Can't Do That on Television, who's reading, like, the teacher is Ross. Do <clears throat> the voice. <laughs> I wish I could do a good Ross. I know, I don't. If John was oh, here. I was thinking of, I thought you meant Barth. Oh, no. Barth would. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a cook, so he'd be like. Oh, that would be great. I know you got Adam. You just heard it. I'm. We, we've established that I'm not a fan. You guys both, uh, Alex and Anthony. You guys both like the wall. So what? What? What is it that spoke to you? What? What is it that uh, that makes you? I know I, I have the aversion to Roger Waters' voice, which is a big part of it for me. But <clears throat> insanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for me, I got into them in high school. You know, I was a, a depressed, angry youth, and. Pig Floyd right there, especially Roger Waters wailing right there in that, you know, that sweet spot of self-pity and, uh, you know, kind of fuzzily directed rage. So it makes it very easy to, uh, to get into. When I got older, I felt embarrassed about that. But I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I used to listen to this on my Walkman and, you know, I'll show them someday. <laughs> but uh, then when I got older, I kind of got more like, uh, you know, it's, I almost found the self-pitying parts kind of... Uh, kind of sweet in a way that like the same way you'd, you'd, you'd listen to a teenager rant and rave about something and you're like oh I remember I used to care about things <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah I watched the uh, and I really got into Roger Waters I got his solo albums and stuff too even I'll, I'll make a copy of them for you Pete um, uh, Anthony's given them to me yeah oh, Radio, Radio Chaos is one of my favorites <laughs> we uh, so, uh that's we. I was toying with the idea of just doing uh, you know Doing a, a, a podcast on one of those, but I thought it might be a little too obscure, or too off-putting. To yeah, so maybe it, if it goes on, eventually down the road, we'll we'll do a a radio chaos or or pros and cons of hitchhiking podcast. <laughs> well, this is a momentous occasion for me. I've never met another person who owned Radio Chaos. <laughs> so, uh, my brother. <clears throat> I got into the wall, uh, I I was 13 years old, and um, during the time it was mostly, the music back then was um, mostly hairband metal. Which is awesome. 87, yeah, which is awesome, but it was a little, I just just wanted more. I don't know, I just felt like it wasn't enough. And somebody um, gave me a copy of the wall on tape, and I was on a road trip my family and it was I had I had two tapes with me I had the fat boys are back and I had Pink Floyd the wall and I don't know why I only brought those two tapes but I didn't listen to the wall yet but I'm like you know what I'm gonna listen to this and I just I listened to it over and over I must have listened to it about 20 times that whole vacation and I don't know it just that was the first Floyd album I got into so you know I really liked it I I definitely understand why some Floyd fans like Pete are put off by it, but um, I don't know because it, it is you know different from their other stuff. But I, I it was just seemed so deep compared to whatever whatever else was was around during the time. 
I'm not sure if I'm allowed to call myself a Floyd fan if I don't lick the wall. I think there's some oh. kind of le- legal requirement. Like I'm, I'm just allowed to call myself like a Pink Floyd appreciator or something like that. <laughs> you're not a Floydian. I think, I, no. I think you could say you're a fan of the Floyd. Yes. I think in the early yeah. days they were the Floyd. So there you go. You can be, <laughs> there you go. Get out of that loophole. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to say you created some kind of some kind of amazing mashup of of the Fat Boys are back and uh, and the Wall. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Have you ever tried to? Well, going a little further into the Pink Floyd, mash uh, playing uh, the Dark Side of the Moon to Disorderlies to see if it mashes up. <laughs> <laughs> I should do that. I'll save that for the Dark Side of the Moon podcast, I have <laughs> or or the Fat Boys podcast. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> of the uh in the movie they show that bit where the kid young pink is reciting um pink floyd uh poetry then there's a kind of neat parallel to that because in the one of the last scenes we see an adult pink and he's uh sobbily reading his poetry in the men's room stall and i'm pretty sure the lines he's reading would would show up either on the final cut or even possibly a roger waters solo album anthony could you confirm that yeah, he. Um, I used to know what he, he was singing, but now I don't remember. <laughs> um, oh my god, I used to know this too. Isn't it from the final cut? I, I, it's I, not I, when I, the tigers broke free. That song's actually in the movie. Right. Um, does he sing "I Want to Go Home"? Take off this uniform. No, that's in the album. Um, well, he does sing that, but before that, oh, when he first. Do you first remember me? Yes. Do you remember me the way we used to be? Do you think we should be closer? Which is from the final cut. That's, um, That's right. That's right. What song is that? But I, I guess that makes sense because the movie would have been being filmed while the final cut was also... They were working on that. So it's not that crazy of a coincidence. Yeah. Right. It's not like years later. Yeah. Or years uh, earlier. Your possible pasts. There you go. Yeah. So uh, you go. Deep cut. well that's another uh the final cut has this uh the the way that it's credited is similar to the way that the movie is credited right that i I don't think it on the the actual album of the wall i don't think it it says you know pink floyd the wall by roger waters but i know in the movie that starts out like that and then the final cut is like you know pink floyd the final cut by roger waters or something like that right yeah the final cut, in some way, is is sort of like a um, continuation of the wall. Maybe the war story. I mean, there, there's an image on the back cover of a soldier with a knife in his back. Mm-hmm. So I always just pictured that as that's Roger Waters' dad, and the knife. I guess the British Army put that in his back for you know for some reason. I I, I don't know if. Uh, going back it's, it's, to what I was saying earlier about how he died, I, in my mind, I always pictured like the British Army like bombing the bunker. <laughs> excuse me, bombing the bunker that he was in. Like it was like a total accident. I don't know if I read that somewhere, or if I made that up. But uh, yeah, and that always explained the knife in the back. But again, I'm like I said, I'm just making this up. <laughs> well, it's funny actually because I was going to say that that I, from what I've heard, the knife in the back was Roger Waters. Um, Roger Waters is apparently not very happy with uh, the wall, the movie, 